Take your copy of God's Word tonight and turn to the book of Philemon. Philemon. Over the next couple weeks, I hope that we can look at the message of this little book. It's kind of nestled there in the New Testament. Uh, Not many times do we preach a long series on it, obviously, because it is such a short book. But as I was praying over the last few weeks, knowing that we had a couple of Sunday nights when we'd be together before I'm out a night or two and then other things would be going on, uh, I looked at this book and I, I went back and not only read it, but read some of those notes that I had taken in college and in seminary. I didn't know Dr. Lemke would be here again tonight, uh, and I didn't say that for his benefit, but I guess he's proud that my education, my wife is proud that my education still informs me. You know what I'm saying? She encouraged me highly to get out and to graduate before it was over with. <laughs> and um, I was going back over my notes, looking at this little book of Philemon, looking at some of the lessons that could be learned. Dr. Ronald Meeks up at Blue Mountain College called them contemporary values for us. And really, you see such import, such significance of this little book for our lives today. So I want to share just a few of those with you tonight and maybe a few of them next week as we come back together. I want to read the whole book, though. It's just a little letter. I want to read it all so we can get the context of it and hopefully just share some things that might help you in your daily walk with Christ as well. So let me read this as Paul is writing. He says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, I also prepare or also prepare a guest room for me. For I trust that through your prayers, I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers, 
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. A personal little note of Paul. I love these little notes. Like as Paul expresses his relationship, his love, his compassion. Now listen, I love the book of Romans. I love to study the book. Now it is, it is difficult. I will tell you the last few weeks as I've been preparing different messages from the book of Romans. I recognize the depth of theology, the depth of doctrine. I understand the, the rich theological heritage he left us. So I love that. But also I love to turn for a moment and see just a practical application of faith as it is determined even in a relationship here with this friend of his, Philemon. He writes to Philemon. Philemon being there in Colossae, he writes to him. And what he's wanting him to do is to receive this man, Onesimus, back. He wants to receive him not back, not as a slave, but he wants him to receive this Onesimus as a dear brother in Christ. And that's why he writes. This Onesimus, obviously, he had run away. He had made it, my belief, all the way to Rome. He had gotten away from his master. And he was looking for freedom. And there he was running into Paul, experiencing salvation in his life. And then Paul, in his own way, sending him back so that the kingdom could grow and advance through this one that was a slave. I, w- I want you to see this tonight. Just a few values tonight. Just a few lessons. Perhaps maybe uh, we'll follow back up next week and, and see more of these. But just catch a few of these lessons from the book of Philemon. First... I think it shows us something about the importance of witnessing itself. Onesimus runs away. He tries to escape Philemon. He goes to Rome. I think that's where Paul is. Paul is in prison. It says here, a prisoner of Christ. He's identified himself. We oftentimes place this in the captivity epistles. Tradition says Rome. So there is Paul in Rome. Onesimus makes it to Rome. And in the midst of all of this, somehow he meets Paul. Now, this is, this is great, I think. How God just orchestrates these divine appointments, these divine moments where individuals can hear the gospel. I mean, Rome was a big city. Rome had at least a million people probably at this point. They had all kinds of people. And somehow, in some moment, Onesimus meets the Apostle Paul. A divine appointment. Notice it says, it says that Paul recognizes this Onesimus as a child. Notice verse 10. It says, whom I have begotten while in my chains. In other words, somehow Paul's ministry, Paul's sharing of the gospel, led Onesimus to faith, a divine appointment. Do you believe in divine appointments? Do you believe that God puts people in your life and he puts you in other people's lives so that you can see a difference made in who you are and a difference made in who others are? It gives you a moment to share the gospel with people, to live the gospel with people. Divine appointments. 
You never know where God's going to give you an opportunity. Now, it wasn't so much a gospel opportunity that I had, but I want to share with you uh, an opportunity that I had to, to be able to encourage someone in the love of Christ and to bring them in to the local church. I was in First Baptist Church of Zachary, and some of you know by now that I do have this hobby that I enjoy. It requires you to go out in the woods and uh, to seek those little critters I was talking about this morning. Uh, somebody after the gathering said, you were talking about squirrels and, and all these. Well, actually, I was talking about little larger critters, I told them, usually. And I was at First Baptist Zachary, and I enjoyed going out doing that. And I had gone up toward Clinton, Louisiana, and uh, I had gone turkey hunting. It was like my first time ever to go turkey hunting. I had a guy with me. We were there trying to track down a turkey. And actually, we had heard these turkeys gobbling. We sat down real quickly, and we did everything we were supposed to, or at least as far as I knew. I didn't know much at that point. Still don't know a whole lot about turkey hunting, but I was sitting there just waiting. The turkeys kind of went by, and something seemed to spook them. We didn't know exactly what it was. And We stood up, and when we stood up, there was a guy that stood up just across the woods from us. We went over to him. We didn't know what kind of confrontation this was about to be, but we went over to him, and we saw Shannon, and he introduced himself. I introduced myself. Josh, my friend, introduced himself. We were talking there for a moment, and uh, he asked us what we did, and Josh pointed to me and said, well, this is the pastor at First Zachary, to which this guy looked at me and said, hmm, this guy? Now, remember, it was about six years ago, probably, seven years ago. You, I mean, you talk about the main one, like the main, I wouldn't call the main one, but I'm the one that preaches every Sunday. Yes, I'm the pastor at First Zachary. I said, ah. And he said, well, you know, I've been out of church for a while. I said, yeah. He said, yeah, I have. But I've been thinking about coming down there to First Zachary. I said, love to have you. Would love to have you. We have service this time and all that. We talked and talked and talked. and Well, following Saturday, I was at the church for some reason. I don't know. But I got a phone call. And usually it just goes to the answering machine. But I decided I'd pick it up. I picked it up. I recognized his voice. He said, hey, what time is service tomorrow again? And I said, well, it's at so-and-so. He didn't know who I was or anything, but I knew who he was. And the next day I saw him and his wife come in to the church. A few weeks later, they came and they joined First Baptist Zachary. I never forget when they joined. I shared the story with the church that morning because I hoped and prayed that the personnel committee would give me more opportunities to go out and hunt so that I could win more people to the church, bringing them in. I tried to use that reasoning with them. They did not buy it whatsoever, even though they had firsthand experience with it right there. But I, I always think back to that. I mean, who would have thought? I mean, we're out in the woods. And, and usually, if you mess somebody else up turkey hunting, can you? some of you are hunters. You're not going to have a pleasant experience. You're probably not going to go to church together. But here we are. We just happen to see each other. Now, look, you've got moments like that. I've got some moments like that. I've got gospel sharing moments like that. Other, I mean, we all do. But think of this. Paul being in Rome with all these different people, with all the diversity of Rome, 
And in the midst of all of that, he just happens to run across this guy named Onesimus who has been a slave in a household that he is familiar with. He knows these people somehow. He knows Philemon. And as he is able to talk to this, as he is able to talk to this man, he is able to lead him to Christ. A divine appointment. Who has God placed in your life lately? By his own sovereignty, by his own ordained will, he placed right there in front of you. Maybe on a trip, maybe it's, maybe it's just a daily activity, and all of a sudden these people are there. Workplace? How about those divine tasks that God has given you in your family? Appointments, people that he wants you to share with. God uses the sharing of the gospel. He uses our witnessing activities to bring people into the kingdom, to share a new birth and to have a new life. And he has chosen us as the primary instruments to achieve that work in those individuals' lives. Paul shares Christ. Onesimus comes to faith. It reminds me of the value of witnessing. It reminds me also of the power of influence itself. The power of influence. I think you see this in the passage. I mean, not only Paul's influence over Onesimus... But you also see Paul's influence with Philemon. He's writing to him. He is speaking to him in a way in which he hopes to advance the kingdom of God. He is writing to Philemon. He's saying, I want you to take back Onesimus. I want you to receive him. Now, he's using his influence. And notice he even says... That here I am, a prisoner. He says, I am the aged one. He recognizes who he is, and he's using his influence in Philemon's life. Now, see, here's where I think we in the church often, well, I think we fall short of stewardship in this area. Now, what is stewardship? Stewardship is taking what God has given us and using it for his good, for his glory, because actually it still belongs to him. All he's done is loan it to us for some time. Would you be okay with some description of stewardship, some that as I just gave it? I, I mean, that's basically what stewardship. God said, here, I'll loan this to you for a while. You use it to advance my kingdom. You're my steward. So most of the time we talk about our finances and that's a fine place to focus for a few moments. It is. God has given every, us everything that we have. I stand here tonight and I say to you, everything that I have, everything that I have financially, everything I have as resources, gifts from God. Everything. Everything you have. This self-made man thing, I, I was reading about the self-made man this week because I was studying for this morning and... Uh, 
thinking about all our works and all the things that we've done and how we try to use those things to earn our salvation. I was reading, to be honest, and I don't mean to offend any of you here in this place, but I want you to know that there is no truly self-made man. God is the one that is responsible for everything and all that we are. Every blessing you have, every blessing I have, it's from him. We need to recognize that. So he gives those things to us, and he gives us like financially, and he wants us to use those for his kingdom purposes, everything. Now, I believe in the tithe. I believe that we should be giving at least 10%. I do believe that. But that's not sufficient. God wants us to use the other 90% in ways that will glorify him as well. I need an amen. Because some of you look like y'all about to kill me in this place tonight. God wants us to use everything. So, finances. But you know, I think finances may be one of the easiest things to be good stewards of. You know something I have difficulty with? That's time. I have difficulty being a good steward of my time. Why? Because the time has been given to me as well. Time's been given to you. Do we use it in a way that would advance the kingdom of God? Every moment. The book of Ephesians, Paul Wright, one of those captivity epistles, he'll write and he'll speak about redeeming the time. So time. But I think if you move on to those things that require our stewardship emphasis, our stewardship attention, influence needs to be counted in that as well. I think we as believers really need to hear that. God has given us the gift of influence. All of us have some influence. You can say for the positive or the negative, all of us have some influence. My question is, do we use those moments of influence? Do we use that gift of influence for the kingdom's sake? This is where it probably really turned on for me. I was at Pine Grove Baptist Church in Picayune. I was teaching a young adult Sunday school class. As I sat in that class, I noticed, I don't know, maybe 10 young couples. And I noticed that they were trying to seek the Lord in their lives. And they all had things that they dealt with, just like me and just like you. But then I began seeing the networks that these 10 individuals had, these 10 couples, actually couples, I guess, had. And I began thinking about all the context that they went out in, that, in the week, their workplaces, their homes, the schools, all the different places that they would go. And I began thinking, what if we all used our influence, leveraged our influence in a godly way, in an ethical way for the kingdom of God. And I got to challenging them. I remember talking to them about their business and how they should use the influence that God had given them in their businesses to win people to Christ and to disciple people. 
And, and we talked through those things. And before you know it, it just began to mushroom, the class did. And what did we do? We didn't split it, did we? Loy, we don't use that terminology. But we began to multiply it. We began to see other classes started. And that wasn't because there was a preacher or a teacher that was on fire. It was because people began to see that they were to use their influence in a way that would advance the kingdom of God. God has all given us influence. How do we use it to advance the kingdom? Here, Paul uses his influence with Philemon. He says, hey, I'm writing to you. And, and, and I love this because I think Philippians also teaches us how we can resolve conflict among Christian brothers and sisters. I think he gives us some insight, okay? I mean, this is, this is kind of a thorny issue. I mean, Paul is trying to address it as sensitively as he can because this could cause all kinds of issues. Look. If the carpet can cause an issue in the church, can you imagine how this can cause an issue in the church? So he knows. He understands. So he wants to somehow reconcile these two. He wants to bring Philemon and Onesimus together. And he also wants to bring himself along with them to partner with them for the gospel, for the advancement of the kingdom. He wants them to come together. I mean, Onesimus has to go back. He's got to face Philemon there's a lot of uncertainty of how he will respond. So Paul's using his influence in an ethical way to resolve this conflict, to bring reconciliation. And I love the way Paul does this. Paul does not insist on his own authority. I mean, read through it again. I mean, Verse 8, he says, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting. What does he say? Paul says, I have the right to tell you what you should do. He recognizes the inherent authority in his apostleship. He says, I feel like I could do that. But that's not what I want to do. That's not what I'm going to do. He said, yet for love's sake, love's sake, I rather appeal to you. When he is trying to restore these relationships, he doesn't come with this sense of authority. He comes in an attitude of love. Later on, as he writes to them, as he writes to Philemon, he asks him to receive Onesimus, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave. Verse 16, a beloved our beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you? He says, you receive him as a brother. Be reconciled. How do you resolve conflict within the church? It is not always from a position of authority. Rather, I believe it is from an appeal of love. Love is more powerful any day. Love is more powerful any day than a person who stands in authority demanding for there to be reconciliation. Paul understood that. Paul knew that this was going to need some tenderness. 
Paul. I mean, we usually think of Paul and we read some of his words. Usually, we think of him as the authoritative apostle. Usually, that's the way we think of him. And don't get me wrong. Paul will appeal to the revelation of Christ and he will speak as God inspires him through his spirit. He'll do that. But he knows just as well that love is what covers a multitude of sins. Love is what brings reconciliation. Love is what can bring people together. That is a teaching we need to hear again today. Not to demand unity, but to demonstrate unity through love. And then finally, and we're going to look at this more next week. It demonstrates the value of every individual. Even, even, even a thieving runaway. He was important to God. He was important to Paul. No longer was he a slave. He was a brother in Christ. And what we need to recognize is that each and every individual is important in the kingdom of God. Every individual. No matter what their background, no matter who they come from, there, there is neither slave nor free when it comes to Christ. We can stand before him we can stand before him in the love that he has demonstrated to us. He is a brother, no longer a slave. Well, this just begins to get us into the book. It begins to show us application for our daily lives. It reminds us of the divine appointments where God starts something and transforms individuals. It reminds us of the influence we should have. In different moments. And by the way, may I say this? I am thankful for people in this church. People who are dedicated to Christ Jesus. Who have used their influence for the kingdom of God. Even since I've been here. I've seen individuals. In leadership positions. People who just love the Lord. Who have stepped up. And demonstrated love and grace in their influence. To continue to help us grow in him and keep the unity of the church. May I say that God has blessed us so much these last two and a half years with unity. Wouldn't you agree with that? To see the spirit that is among us, that is no accident. It is because God dwells among us first. And second, it is because people have used their influence to advance the kingdom of God. I'm so thankful for that. So God shows us the influence. He shows us how we should deal with different types of issues that come before us. And he shows us that all of us, all of us are dear to the heart of God. That's just a few of the lessons. Next week we're going to see more. But may we live these this week. As we go out from where we are. Let's pray together. Father. I praise you. We do not take for granted Lord. The blessings that you've given us. Personally. Individually. 
or even collectively as a church. And God, I pray that we would see the values of the message from Philemon. Pray that we would enact it in our lives. That be faithful to witnessing and using our influence. Of Lord trying to bring reconciliation, being peacemakers. Of Lord just looking at each and every individual. Lord, with the dignity of life that you've given them. Father, I pray that you would just bless us tonight. Help us to move forward as a church. Help us to continue to be your people, united, seeking to advance your mission here in Ruston, in the area around us, even to our nation and to the nations themselves. And Lord, we'll depend upon you in that effort. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?